Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, open it up to John chapter 15. And then on the inside of your bulletin, we have some notes for you to follow along. John chapter 15. We are in a four-week study called Abide, in which we are studying this chapter and Jesus' conversation to the disciples, in which he uh, begins this, uh, this conversation, or he has this portion of the conversation, uh, surrounding a metaphor of vine and branches. And the goal of this conversation, the goal of our study as we study these verses together, is to answer the question, what happens when we choose to follow Christ closely? Now, when Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples, he uses a, a gardening metaphor. He uses the, the metaphor of probably something that was uh, on the side of the road or perhaps in a field across the way as they were walking. And he looks at it, and he sees the vine, and he sees the branches, and so he begins the description, and he says, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And he has this discussion with them. Uh, last week, we talked about gardening and uh, I wanted to share with you that a, a few weeks ago we had um, we had Bob and Wanda Watson come by uh, the house and and they dropped off a rose uh, bush for our new home and um, and it was, it was pretty awesome it was pink and it hadn't quite um, opened up yet and so I looked at that and I thought okay so what do I do with this now it's in this pot thing now I have to put it in the ground so I started googling all the different ways that you're supposed to transplant a rose bush into your flower bed. Um, and uh, there's a lot of strategies for roses. I was talking to my mom on the phone and she was telling me, uh, and when I've been to her house, um, like she feeds her roses uh, coffee grounds. How many of you guys do that? Put coffee grounds in your roses? Uh, what else do you put on roses? There's a lot of different things you can put. Oatmeal? Oh, I thought you said oatmeal and I thought, what, what flavor? Uh, bone meal. Yep. Oh, I think I, I, think I read somewhere um, like fish bones. Is that, is that probably a similar reason? I don't know. Eggshells. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's all these different strategies in order because uh, when they break down in the dirt, then the nutrients are then uh, provided for the roots, and then it creates these beautiful flowers. There's a lot of strategies for gardening. And so um, when, when Bob and Wanda gave it to us on the tag, it said Big Mama, uh, which I think is a fantastic name for a flower. So when I get home at night, I just, I put it right there at the entry right next to the door. I say, hey, big mama, and I go inside. And then when I leave in the morning, I say, hey, good morning, big mama, and then I go on to my day. We haven't made a lot of friends with our neighbors, and um, that's probably because they hear me talking to the flowers that way. Um, but we'll work on that. There's a lot of these strategies when it comes to gardening and metaphor. Um, we're going to read a passage of scripture right now uh, where Jesus actually begins sharing strategies on what it means to abide. So we're going to take a few minutes to review where we were last week because where we're going to end last week's, uh, where, we, where we ended last week was the branch's main responsibility is to abide. And then Jesus gives us actually four different strategies on how to abide in Christ. How to abide. And to illustrate this, he's using this metaphor of the vine and the branches. So we're in John chapter 15. We're beginning at verse 1 and we'll go through about verse 11. Let's read it together. 
It says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, ye can do, what's that word? Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now as my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We talked about this last week that when uh, following Christ closely, growth and fruit are not just possible, growth and fruit are inevitable. Look at verse 8 again. It says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The proof that you are following Jesus is that you will bear much fruit. And then we asked the question last week, what is fruit? And we talked about how really in biblical terms, I believe there's two different kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. Number one, it's bringing people to Christ. This is the fruit. This is the fulfillment of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But the other part of, bring, of, of, of bearing much fruit is this, this maturity of godly character. This is that list in Galatians chapter 5 where we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. This is how fruit shows up in the life of a believer. And so when we ask the question, how do we grow and produce these fruit? How How do we grow and produce people being brought to Christ But then also in our life, how do we grow and produce this godly character over the span of our life? And the answer is to abide. And to abide means to stay. It means to remain. And when we abide, we'll have fruit in our lives. And our fruit is an indication of how close we are to Christ. We talked about how as God examines our life, he looks for fruit. And if we go season after season after season with no fruit, we really need to examine how close we are to Christ. But if we do bear fruit, we talked about how God prunes us in order to put us in a position to bear much fruit. And pruning is a necessary part of ensuring growth and fruitfulness. In last week's discussion, as we got to verse 8 and 9, we determined that the branch's number one responsibility is to abide. When we abide, we will have fruit in our lives. We will naturally bring people to Christ because they will see our life, they will see our conversations, our behaviors, and it will encourage them to come to Christ. We will be able to lead them to Christ. But then also, the fruit in our lives will come up in love, in joy, in peace. We'll live lives of kindness, of goodness, of patience. 
We'll be self-controlled. We'll be faithful. We'll have uh, the ability to do these things because fruit is showing up in our life. Now, the vine is what bears fruit, but we are to abide. It's the vine's responsibility to bring the fruit. Our responsibility is to simply abide, and it directs people to him because in it, when we abide, we glorify him. So how do we abide? In this conversation with the disciples, beginning in verse 7, Jesus shares with them four strategies to abide. So strategy number one is this, my words remain in you. Look at verse 7. It says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Now one of the interesting things as you read through the Gospels is this, um, the chapters and verses are there to help guide us, but they weren't put into the Bible until about the mid-1500s or so. And so it's important to understand that when reading the Gospels, that we can go backwards and put things in context a little bit. Uh, go back in your Bibles to John chapter 14, if you have them open. John chapter 14 is in this same conversation with, G uh, with the disciples. Um, but this is what he says in John chapter 14 in verse 25 and 26. He says this, I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. Well, what does that mean, while I'm still with you? What is he talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the fact that he physically and his body will not be with them much longer. And uh, again, as we talked about last week, this discussion is part of the final discourse. He has just finished the final meal. Uh, he's just predicted that Peter will deny him. Um, all of these things are happening on the way to the, uh, to the cross. This is his final discourse. So he says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. Verse 26, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. It's interesting because this is how scripture was written. Second Timothy tells us that all scripture was uh, given by inspiration of God. Uh, what that means is God reminded them everything that they, he had taught them and these men of God were able to transcribe and write the preserved scriptures. So strategy number one is staying close to Christ, allowing his words to remain in you. Because what will happen is this. As the words remain in you, he teaches you, and then he reminds you everything. He teaches you and reminds you. Colossians puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Look at the very first phrase. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Now that word dwell is one of the synonyms for abide. The word abide means to take up residence, right? It's to meet, remain, it's to dwell. So what Paul is asking the church in Colossians to do is this. Let the message of Christ abide in you richly. And as you do, you'll teach and admonish one another. He wants the words of Christ to dwell richly in you. And we put the time and effort into the word. The Holy Spirit will then remind us this is how we stay close to Christ. Strategy number one, my words remain in you. We cannot have a close relationship with God and a casual relationship with his words. The two cannot happen at the same time. We cannot have a close relationship with God while having a casual 
relationship with his words. If we abide in God's word, we will see growth. When there's opportunities to share the hope of the gospel, the word of Christ is dwelling richly in you, and all of a sudden you can use those words to share the hope of the gospel. When there's worry or temptation or fear or circumstances, the fruit will begin to grow inside you as the word is in you. When you're praying and all of a sudden you're praying scriptures that God has reminded you because the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds you, this is how we see growth. John chapter 8, a few chapters before this, there's an interesting conversation that Jesus says, and he says this, you know, you probably know this verse, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Uh, Let's say verse 32 together. Ready, begin. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The application of this verse is this. When you know the truth, when the words of Christ are dwelling richly in you, in the moment of worry, the truth sets you free from worry. You see how that works? In in the moment of fear, if the word of God is dwelling richly in you, all of a sudden you're set free from that fear. When you're in a moment of temptation, well, if the word of God is dwelling richly in you, then that scripture helps you break free from the temptation. Knowing the truth, and the truth will then set you free. So in your moments of doubt, weakness, fear, anger, lust, jealousy, confusion, the truth, the words of Christ that are dwelling richly in us, sets us free. Now here's the thing. What happens when you haven't let the truth and the words abide in you? What happens is this. Those moments hold you captive, and you're not set free. You see how that works? So in the moments of fear, if you have not memorized scripture, if you have not uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, that fear all of a sudden holds you captive. If, if the doubt of, boy, it feels like I'm all alone in this. Well, if you haven't memorized any scripture that says, um, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you haven't memorized that scripture and you can't call upon that scripture, guess what happened? That fear of you being alone now holds you captive. It holds you captive. And you start making decisions based on the reality of what you feel, even though the reality, that's not the reality. Um, the temptation of lust or, 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 or to cheat or to get ahead by dishonest gain. When that temptation comes in you, If you don't have scripture to free you from that, that temptation holds you captive. And because it holds you captive, you then start making decisions based on how it's holding you captive. Knowing the truth, the truth sets you free. So strategy number one that Jesus helps his disciples with is this. My words remain in you. Look at strategy number two. Abide in my, what's the next word? John 15 verse 9. Go to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me, or I'm sorry, abide in my love. We draw strength and sustenance from the reminder of his great love for us. So here's the thing. How do we abide in God's love? As I take this scripture and as I looked at it and I understand the words of what abide means, it means to dwell, it means to stay, it means to remain, 
It's to take up residence. Well, how do we do that in his love? How do we take up residence in his love? Um, you're going to see this trend, but this is about letting the scripture dwell in you first, and then you remind yourself of God's love in the course of the day. Abiding in God's love is the act of remembering his love for you. And by abiding in his words, we naturally give ourselves a pathway to abide in his love. By abiding in his words, when you let the words of Christ dwell richly in you, we naturally give ourselves a pathway to abide in his love. So let's do this. Let's do some verses on God's love. How many of you know a verse on God's love? You know, you can't quote it. I'm not going to ask you to quote it. But you know the reference, a reference to a scripture of God's love. John 3.16. Get your Bibles. Let's go to John 3.16. One per person today, okay? All right, thanks, Steve. One per person. Let's do John 3.16. So what does abiding in God's love look like? It means thinking about these scriptures. It means taking a moment to remember his love. Now, a lot of us may memorize John 3.16, but there's a different power when you rest on the words, when you read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 59 says, as the father loved me in the same way I love you. That God loves you in the same way that God loved Jesus. Well, this verse just tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. What's another verse on God's love? Uh-huh, what is it? I was going to say we're a few chapters away. John, let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Linda was talking about the story of Lazarus. So we're in John chapter 11. At the beginning of John chapter 11, Jesus finds out that Lazarus is dead, and it takes him four days to get to see his friend. And by the time he gets there, uh, the family is a little bit disappointed and a little bit upset that Jesus is late. How many of you have realized there are moments in your life where you say, Jesus, you're late. <laughs> I needed you a long time ago. And what you're doing now seems a little late. And there's this beautiful, we won't unpack all of John 11, but there's this beautiful part in John chapter 11, verse uh, 33. He's traveled now. He's come. They've waited for him. The King James verse says that uh, they said to Jesus, he stinketh. This is how long he's been dead. Verse 33 says this. And I want you, when we read these verses, I want you to think about Jesus' love. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let's do a couple more. Another verse, another story about Jesus' love. Uh, yeah, Becky. 
John 3, 17. All right, let's go back a few chapters. John 3, verse 17. This is in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We just read John 16. John chapter 17. John chapter 3, I should say, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus was moved by love, and that's why he came. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One more. What's another verse or story on God's love? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Think about Jesus' love. God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when Jesus says abide in his love, what he's asking you to do is to remember his love in such a way that it becomes a part of your day. So here's the thing. It's directly related to strategy number one. It begins with letting the words of Christ dwell richly in you. It begins with allowing scripture to have a place in your heart so that like these individuals were able to call out these stories and references in your life. Uh, and we could do this all day on just Jesus' love. You could do it all day on Jesus' faithfulness. And if you cannot, this is not an indictment. This is an encouragement to you to search scripture because the scriptures set you free from the emotional entanglements we are. So strategy number one is to let the words of Christ dwell richly in you. Strategy number two is to allow uh, his love, to abide in his love. I put down four references there that I thought of. Titus 3, verse 5 and 6, John 3, 16 and 17 we did. Ephesians 2, 1 John 4, 7 to 12. I would take some time later this week and look at those uh, scriptures because one of the important principles to realize as we think about God's love is we can never earn his love. In fact, the one that Libby just mentioned, John, uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means we didn't earn that love. And here's the problem with earning love. That means there's a point where we can unearn it too. If we be truly believe that we can earn God's love, then there must be a point also in which we can unearn his love. And yet the Bible is very clear that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3 says this, It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So when we believe we can earn it, we would feel uh, insecure, bitter, jealous, anxious, fearful, angry, exhausted because we're trying to earn this love. But when we can embrace his love for what it is and abide in his love, you will find yourself being treasured, loved, worth, valued. This is the freedom we just talked about. Knowing the truth and the truth setting 
you free. So strategy number one, my words remain in you. Strategy number two, abide in my love. Strategy number three is this, keep my commandments. John chapter 15, verse 10. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you could keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So out of love, we are moved to fulfill desires. Let me say that phrase again. Maybe you need to jot it down. Out of love, we are moved to fulfill desires, both on our relationship here on the earth and with our relationship with God the Father. Most mornings in our house, Libby has to get up before uh, I do in the morning. Uh, boy, this last week, it felt like you were at work like at 6 o'clock a couple of times. No? Just fe- oh, once? It felt like a lot. Trust me. Once was enough. Um, but she usually gets up before me, and, and one of the things she does for me in the morning, because I'm still, ble- I'm still uh, asleep, is when she makes coffee, she puts them in a thermos, and she just brings it to my nightstand, and it's right there. So when I wake up, the thermos of coffee is right there. Isn't that awesome? That's love, isn't it? She do, I have never asked her to do that. She just does that on her own. She's probably just hoping I wake up at some point and have a productive day. But I choose to believe that she's motivated by love. Because out of love, we are moved to fulfill desires. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Imagine having this conversation with Jesus, and you're telling him about your temptation. You're telling him about your struggle. You're telling him why it's really hard for you to do blank. And then Jesus says, well, if if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is the conversation he's having with his disciples. And I believe that our struggle to obey God and whatever is proving difficult in our life is likely a matter of not thinking enough of his love and Calvary enough. Do you see how this progression works? First strategy, my words need to remain in you. And as my words remain in you, guess what? Abide in my love. Think about my love. Think about the extraordinary measure God went to to restore relationship with you. And as you abide in his love, guess what? The natural result of abiding in his love is keeping his commandments. It's the natural result. And likely, if we have a struggle to obey God in whatever is proving difficult, it is a matter of not thinking enough of his love or Calvary enough. So strategy number one, my words remain in you. Strategy number two, abide in my love. Number three, keep my commandments. Number four, my joy may be in you you he says look at verse 11 these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full the life he's describing the life of abiding and remaining in christ is a life designed to produce joy 
This is how God produces joy in the believer. He says, my words remain in you. Then you abide in my love because my words are remaining in you. Then because you're abiding in my love and you're thinking about what I've done for you on Calvary and what I've done for you here and the relationship I have restored with God Almighty because of his love for you, then I want you to keep my commandments because you love me. And if you do those things, if you let his word remain in you, if you, uh, if you allow uh, yourself to abide in his love and you keep his commands, God says, this is when you're joy is at its fullest. This is the life he wants us to live. When he says in John chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly, I believe this is the life he's talking about. The creator of the universe wants you to experience joy. How many of you are like me, though? You feel like joy is a little slippery, <laughs> right? Joy is a little slippery. It's like a fish and you just out of the water, and you're trying to grab it, and it just, the minute we think we have joy, it just kind of slips out of our hand. I believe it's because we fail to realize where joy comes from, and in our mind, I believe that all of us have this different um, mathematical equation of how we think joy arrives. Right? And I think for some of us, it is um, money plus opportunity plus freedom equals joy. And the problem with that is all, all three of these elements are slippery elements. Money is just temporary. The opportunities, what if there's no opportunities and and what if the, the freedom you thought you had is actually beholden to the money because now you have to work for the money in order to make sure the money's part of the equation and the joy you thought you had, you just got more bills and you're living up to the standard in which you thought your income would give you. Joy's slippery because the equation we're using in order to produce joy is probably not the equation that God is helping us to understand. It starts with, let my words remain in you. Let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell in you richly. I love that he uses that, 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 that word to describe how, joy, or how the message of Christ dwells in you. He says, let it dwell richly. Let the message of Christ live in style in your home. Let it be adorned. Let it be treasured. Let it be valued. Put all your, 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 your priority on it. And as you do, as you let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, the next logical thing is this. You should think about my love more often. You should abide in my love. You should abide in Calvary. You should make much of Jesus and what he did on the cross and what he did in resurrection. And as you do, you will find yourself keeping my commandments. Aren't you glad step one wasn't keep my commandments? I'm really grateful for that because I would never move past step one, right? The reason why it's step three, the reason why it's the third thing in this discussion is because keeping his commandments is built on the word of Christ dwelling richly in you, uh, thinking about his love. And because you thought about his love, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, then you will experience true joy, 
full joy, complete joy. For most of us, the effort of relying on ourselves for full and complete joy results in us feeling empty, dry, broken, and fruitless. And Jesus knows this about us, so he went to the cross. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12 for you. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. Tucked away in verse 2 is this amazing phrase that says this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. What that means is that Christ's joy was you, so that you could be free from the sin and penalty of death and experience joy to the fullest by abiding in him. You see, Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in us. So you see the progression here? My words remain in you. Then abide in my love. Then you'll keep my commandments. And then my full joy will be in you. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. We've been going through the Psalms Monday through Friday on Facebook. And um, I've really enjoyed just taking a deeper look at some of these psalms. Psalm 16, verse, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter here in a moment. But Psalm 16 is one of these chapters that kind of had new significance as we've gone through it during the week. But especially in light of this progression of the words remaining in you, abiding in his love, keeping his commandments, and then his full joy. Psalms chapter 16. I want to read the whole chapter. It says this. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more, and I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods to take up their names on my lips. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let the faithful once see decay. You make, pa- you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your right hand and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Look at verse 1 again. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. 
Because of, uh, because of David's position of his heart in verse 1, look at what happens in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. If you look through this chapter, you actually see all these steps that Jesus is describing in John chapter 15. The first thing that David says in verse 1 is, in you I take refuge. You are my safety, you are my strength. This is what happens when we let the words abide in us. We recognize Jesus for what he is, and we recognize the word for what it is, our, our position of strength and refuge. And by the end of verse or of chapter 16, by the verse 11, we see, you make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy. It starts with abiding in him and in his words. So, let's take a moment to reflect and to respond. Uh, look at the end of your outline, at the bottom of your outline. Four questions. Four questions for you to answer. What's the one word to describe your relationship with his words, his love, and his commands? What keeps me stuck in fear, insecurity, anger, anxiety, sadness? We remember we talked about how the word of God, uh, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, what keeps you stuck there? How can the gospel of Jesus free me and experience true joy? If these are the four strategies... To abide in him, are you abiding in him? And which of the four needs attention in your life? Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Our worship team's going to come forward, and they're going to prepare to lead us in some worship. And as we do, we want to take a moment to reflect and now to respond. I'm going to ask for your heads to be bowed as we just give each other some privacy to reflect and to respond to these questions. What is the one word that describes your relationship with his words? What's the one word you would use to describe your relationship with his love? What's the one word you would use to describe your relationship with his commands? What keeps you in fear and insecurity and anxiety, anger and sadness throughout the week? When those moments hit you and the gospel of Jesus doesn't free you, the words don't free you, what keeps you stuck there? And if these four strategies are the strategies to abide in him, for you today in this moment, are you abiding in him? And which one of the four needs attention in your life?
I think you found, as we've talked about this, they're all interconnected. But as you think about these four and you think about his words remaining in you, is that the one that needs attention in your life? Do you need to make a commitment to memorizing scripture? Do you make a commitment to daily time in the word? Is it, is it, is it a phone reminder in your alarm, in your calendar, set off every day for you to spend 60 seconds to think about God's love for you? Is that what you need to do? So every day there's a moment where you're thinking about God's love for you. Is there, is there something he's asked you to do that you haven't been obedient in? And maybe it's the commands that needs attention in your life. Or maybe you feel like you haven't experienced true, full joy yet. Which one of those needs attention? Dear Jesus, thank you for this conversation that you had with the disciples. Thank you for the Holy Spirit for teaching and reminding us. And Lord, as we consider what it means and this, these strategies to abide in you, Father, I pray that our church, um, that families in our church would, would recommit their heart and their life on what it means to follow you. I pray that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us. I pray that daily we would spend time thinking about your love for us. Father, I pray that we would be a church family that is obedient to what you have called us to do. And Father, I pray that when people think about First Christian Church across from the street uh, courthouse in downtown Roseburg, they would say, man, I, I don't, everyone that goes to that church is just so joyful. Their joy bucket is full. Father, I pray that that would become a reality in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.